Well, Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. Hey, Roisin. You're all very welcome. Uh, fair play for being here today. We really appreciate it. And we're happy to worship with you. So we're not going to be in Galatians today. I know we took a break last month for our Advent season. And, um, you know, every year that I've been here in this church and had the opportunity to preach, I've been allowed to do a New Year's sermon. So you might as well keep that tradition going. And so we're actually going to be this morning in the book of Galatians. So if you want to open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3, verses 17, 17, 7 to 14, uh, we'll read the text together and we'll pray. Galatians 3, 7 to 14. Sorry, Hebrews 3, 7 to 14. The scripture says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. God, I thank you for this new year. Lord, thank you um, that, Jesus, you are still the same. You are the same yesterday and today and forever. God, you are the constant in our life. God, we thank you that your word says you speak to us, Lord, and that we can hear your voice today. And God, as you speak to us, Lord, you want to be like a child that just hears their parent and responds, God. Lord, teach us how to build um, faith this year. Teach us how to sow into belief, God, this year. Teach us how to say yes to you, Jesus, this year. God, we want to be used by you in this city, God, for your glory. We want to see souls come to you, God. But God, that requires us, Lord, as your church, stepping out in faith, um, overcoming fear, overcoming hostility, overcoming the flesh, and saying yes to the Holy Spirit. So God, we pray, Lord, as we look at this text that you have brought to us today, that you would speak to us and you would teach us, Holy Spirit. Help us to hear your voice and to say, yes, God. We love you, Lord. We pray for our kids. We pray for every child in the back there as they learn about the parables of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, that you would speak to them, that they would know what it means to be a child of God, to become a disciple, to become a part of the kingdom of heaven. We pray, Lord, you would um, save every child in there by your grace, that you would build them up, God, for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So like I said, we're going to be in Hebrews today and not Galatians. And so I was praying a lot, like what should we actually look at this week before we get back into the scripture? And I, I was led here to this particular text, not really sure to start what we were going to get out of it, but I do believe there is a message for all of us here today. There are teams, there are big ideas that we can take into 2023 to build upon, to, to make this year look so different uh, to last year. And the biggest team, the biggest idea in our message this morning is this, is that your response to the voice of Jesus today will determine your relationship with him tomorrow. 
What do I mean by this? Basically, it is the principle of sowing and reaping that we see in, in Galatians. Let me give you an example. So I am currently trying to build a vegetable patch in my back garden. Not very successfully, but I am growing kale. Um, I, I sowed a few months ago some kale seeds, and they started to sprout. And I have these little you know, green leafy bitter plants growing in my kind of really weak vegetable patch. And I'm very excited about it. I can't wait to eat kale. I love kale. But you know, since I've planted kale and I'm growing kale, when it comes to harvest time, I should expect to reap kale. Like I shouldn't expect cauliflower when I've sown kale, right? I reap according to what I have sown, according to its own kind. And the same is true with every aspect of life. That's why the scripture uses such a a simple example of sowing and reaping um, seeds. We all want to reap something. Think about like the time of the year it is. It's New Year's time. And though we know it's just another day in the calendar, it's just you know, another rotation around the sun, at least for us in our context, in our time, this is a time where people uh, make big ambitions and big goals and we make all kinds of resolutions of what we want to see uh, by the end of the year. And, you know, there's some basic ones. Every year it's the same one. You know, get healthier, lose weight, um, spend more time with your family, less time on social media, get more money, stop spending, spend less. All the basic ones. Maybe, maybe you have uh, made a resolution this year as well. Like I, I make one every year. Uh, I make a joke one and I make a serious one. My joke one since I've been married is I'm going to have a six pack and it hasn't quite happened yet. <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen for a while. But I have a serious one too. And we all make these resolutions. And like, what is it at the end of the day? It's, it's a harvest, a resolution. That, that outcome is the harvest that we want to see in our lives. We want to see something that we do not have now, and we want to, to, to obtain it. It's, it's, it's a harvest. Again, my biggest one this year is I want to, as a man, um, prioritize better my relationships and value them more significantly. And I want to start that with the Lord, and then my wife, and my kids, and my family, then you guys as my church family, and then everyone else after that. And I think that's a pretty good ambition to have this year. Uh, I think it's one we should all have, actually, as we carry into 2023, that we would want to respond to Jesus in a better and more faithful way than we did last year. But here's the thing, how do I achieve that? Because the reality is I can end 2023 next year with absolutely no change in my relationship with God or my relationship with my wife or my children or anyone else. How do I obtain this? And if I end next year and there has been no change, the reason is because I haven't done anything. I haven't sown into my relationships. See, it's not enough for me to want to have a better relationship with God. Though that's important, we need that that paradigm shift. We need that change in our thinking if we want to obtain something. But I need to do something to get there. And that something needs to start today. And if I do absolutely nothing today, nothing will change. And if I do something today, everything can change. The changes I decide to make today will impact my walk with the Lord tomorrow. And then when tomorrow becomes today, I have the exact same choice, the same opportunity to either build on what I started yesterday or to make a complete change. See, real change doesn't happen in some you know, singular, instantaneous moment. Real change comes through a commitment. 
It's the outcome of the same thing every day of that sometimes monotonous commitment to doing what we know is right. And that's what the order of Hebrews uh, comes to us today. He wants to show us what we should be doing to obtain the outcome um, of the scripture. Now, Hebrews, if you don't know, was a letter written to a group of Jewish Christians, most likely in Rome, who were coming under increased pressure from the culture around them. On one side, we had the Jewish community, their family that they came out from, and there was this pressure for them to return, um, to leave the grace that they found in Jesus Christ, and to turn back to Moses and the law and the temple and the sacrifices and to leave Christianity behind. So we had that on one side. Then on the other side, we have the Roman government. And at this point, Christianity, it's legal religion. It's not legal to worship Jesus. And there is pressure from Roman society and the Roman government to acknowledge Caesar as Lord instead of Christ as Lord. And all this pressure that they were experiencing is a pressure that you and I will face, that the church has faced throughout the millennia. You know, will, who will we choose to worship? And pressure. It's pressure to compromise on what we know is right. It's pressure to return to the old ways. And it's pressure ultimately to deny who Jesus is. And so the author of Hebrews, he writes this amazing letter to these believers to show them that Jesus is greater. He, 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 he shows who Jesus is in light of the angels, in light of Moses, of Joshua, the law, the temple, the sacrifices, in light of Caesar. And his conclusion is that Jesus is greater. Jesus is worthy of our commitment and he is worth pursuing. He wants them to not give up on their faith, not shrink back in their belief, but to press forward to increase in their faith and their devotion to Jesus. He wants them to become responsive to him, to become devoted to him, to keep going in the mission, to not give up. And so he comes to chapter 3. And in chapter 3, we're starting in verse 7, so we're kind of starting in the middle of the, of the chapter what the author of Hebrews does here in the first six verses for context is he compares Jesus to Moses. And he says that Jesus is more worthy than Moses. He says that, you know, Moses was a great man. And when we read the account of him in the scriptures, Moses was a man of faith. He was a man who believed God, a man who left the pleasures of Egypt to follow after the Lord. And because of his example of faith, the Jews held him in very high regard. And they, 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 they honored him, they gave him a glory, and they obeyed the law of Moses. But the other of Hebrews tells us in three, Hebrews 3.3 3, that Jesus is worth more glory than Moses. And the reason for this is because Jesus is completely different to Moses when it comes to the household of God. He says that Moses was a faithful servant in the household of God. And he was. He was a faithful servant. And we should give him honor. But he says that Jesus is a son in the household of God. And because he is a son, he is worthy of more honor. And he is worthy of more commitment because ultimately, even Moses is there to serve Jesus. And he's saying, you know, you respond to the law of Moses because you count him as being worthy of honor. And so you should respond to Jesus in a greater way because he is worthy of more honor. And that's the response we all need to make. We need to hear the words of Jesus, hear him speaking, and make a choice in our response to respond in the right way. And we ask, well, what is the right way to respond to Jesus? 
It's when Jesus says something to you, you say yes. It's responding in, in faith. It's with confidence, with trust in, in him. And what the order of Hebrews tells us is that as we place our confidence in Jesus, we enter into his rest. And we get to draw close to him when we are weak. And we get to find strength from the grace of Jesus. That's where he brings his whole thought to. That Jesus is our great high priest who gives us access to the Father. In fact, he says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. So then let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence, confidence in Jesus, not confidence in ourselves, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So what we find is when we submit ourselves to Jesus, when we humble ourselves before God and put his ways first, we get help. And I don't know about you, I need help for this year. Um, I, I kind of feel like I'm in over my head sometimes. And I want the help of God. And I hope you want the help of God too. And we have it when we respond to Jesus with belief. We are to become a people whose belief is not staying like stagnant throughout the year. We don't want our trust in Jesus to diminish. We want it to increase all the more as we walk with him. And so that's the resolution. That's what we should desire to reap this year. A heart that trusts the Lord and responds to him and his ways. So when we ask, well, how do we, how do we do that? What well, must be done today to get that outcome tomorrow? How do we sow into a heart of belief and faith? And that is where our text actually brings us to this morning. It starts in verse 7 of chapter 3 saying this. It says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice. And we'll stop there for a moment. He says the word therefore. And when you see the word therefore, you ask, well, what, what is it there for? And so he's pointing it back to those six verses, speaking of the greatness of Jesus as his son. And he says, you know, just as Moses, in a sense, speaks to you through the law, the Holy Spirit says, if you hear his voice today, if you hear the voice of Jesus, and that should tell you something about your Christianity. And what it tells us is that our, 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 our Christian faith is a relationship. It is not simply rules and rituals and the things we must do. It is a relationship with a real living person. And so the assumption is that Jesus will speak to you and that he will speak to you today through his Holy Spirit. And we know this is true because Jesus promised this to us. In the Gospel of John in the upper room, Jesus promised that he would send you and I the Holy Spirit. He would send his disciples the Holy Spirit to speak and to instruct and to guide us. In John 16, Jesus says, I have many things to say to you still, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truths. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I love these words of Jesus because this means there should be an expectation amongst us as the people of God that we will hear from the Holy Spirit today. Today, not tomorrow, 
not sometime in the distant future, if we're good enough, we will hear from the Holy Spirit today. And with that hearing comes a response. We want to respond to the Lord in the right way. Because the reality is there is a way to respond to God that doesn't please him. There is a way to respond to God that actually brings a, a worsening to your relationship with him and a bad outcome. And we see it in verses 8 to 11 of our texts. The wrong way to sow into your relationship with God and what is reaped from that. Again, it says, Today if you hear his voice in verse 8, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. And as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So what the author of Hebrews is doing here, he's actually quoting extensively from the Old Testament and um, from the book of Psalms. It's Psalm 95, verses 7 to 11. And Psalm 95 is a psalm about how we should enter into the presence of God with a heart of, of worship, that we should go to him and give him the praise that he is due. It's a psalm that tells us who God is. It says that he is our great God and king, that he is the one who formed the mountains and the seas and everything in it. And it tells us who we are. It says we are his pasture and that we are like sheep in his hand. And it's a beautiful image that the psalmist is trying to paint for us, that you know, the hands that form the mountains, the hands that form the sea, the hands that hold everything together, they are holding you that you are in his hands, and in his hands you are safe and secure. You are like a sheep sitting by green pastures. In God there is rest. God holds us, and when God holds us, there is a security, there is a safety, there is a peace that comes from placing ourselves in him. And in light of who he is, and in light of who he is for us, the psalmist says we should come into his presence with singing, with a joyous noise, that we should, we should bow down, we should worship him, we should bend the knee to our God and give him praise because he is worthy. You know, he is worthy of your voices this morning. He is worthy of your praise. He is worthy of your commitment and your love and your dedication and your pursuit this year. But the psalmist also tells us something else towards the end of the psalm. He says that... There is another response that can happen when it comes to seeing the hand of God at work. And he says it's a hardening, a hardening of, of the heart. And the idea of a hardening is, is stubbornness. Um, and we all know what it means to be, to be stubborn. It means to be like unyielding, that you do not respond. Um, I wish I had like some food cloud bread with you to give you an example. But take for comparison, you know, the, the kind of the responsiveness of, of bread versus, say, a stone. If I had a loaf of fresh bread in my hand right now, you know, I could you know, squeeze it and it contracts, and when I release, it expands. The bread is responsive to me when I, when I interact with it. But a stone, you know, what happens when I squeeze a stone? Absolutely nothing. I'm not strong enough to break a stone. And in fact, the more I squeeze, the more it hurts, the more it irritates me because of its stubbornness and its unwillingness to move. It's unresponsive. And the psalmist warns the people of Israel to look back into their history at this hardening and realize that it happened before and it can happen again. And he's speaking here of an incident that happened during the 40 years of wandering through the wilderness. 
It takes place in Numbers chapter 20. If you take notes, write it down, Numbers chapter 20. You won't read the whole chapter, but let me give you the summary, the breakdown of what's going on. So basically, this is after the Lord tells Israel, this generation cannot enter the promised land. And so they're wandering the wilderness for 40 years. And they come to a place called Meribah and Massa. And at Meribah, the children of Israel, they run out of water. And they start to grumble. And they get really angry. And they start picking a fight with Moses. And they're complaining. And they're saying, why did you bring us out here to die? Why did the Lord bring us from Egypt where we had plenty of food and water? It would have been absolutely better if we had died with our rebellious brothers in the wilderness. It's a really sad event in the history of Israel. What makes it more sad is that earlier on, in Exodus 17, they come to this place. And again, they have no water and they're grumbling, and the Lord says to Moses, speak to the rock and water will come forth. And Moses does this very thing, and he gives water to the children of Israel. And yet now, sometime later, they're doubting, they're forgetting, and they're becoming hard against the Lord. They are doubting God. And for years and years in the wilderness, this was the posture of Israel. They had seen miracle after miracle. They had seen, you know, sign after sign of God's faithfulness. But in spite of it, their hearts were becoming hard. They were entering a position of not just, say, doubt, but unbelief. Even Moses becomes hardened at this point. He gets obviously understandably frustrated at Israel rebelling and complaining. And you know, the Lord at Meribah the second time in his grace says, Moses, speak to the rock once more and water will come out. And what does Moses do? He gets a staff, he strikes the thing, water comes out, he's angry. And the Lord says to Moses, you know, why didn't you believe me? You're, you're, you know, Moses had become just as unbelieving at that point as Israel. And his discipline was he would not enter the promised land either. He would not enter God's rest. And so what happens is the psalmist, he looks back at this event and he says to, to, to the hearers in Psalm 95 that this event at Meribah, this sums up the entire generation of Israel in the wilderness. That their hearts were hardened, that they, they sowed essentially into unbelief. And the consequence, the harvest of their unbelief, was they would not enter the promised land. They would not enter the rest of God. And so the author of Hebrews, he takes this psalm and this event in the people of Israel, and he says to the Jewish Christians, be careful. Do not let the outcome of your life be like this. He says, you know, today Jesus is speaking to you, and your response must be one of faith and worship, not hardness and unbelief. And the big idea is that if you have a heart of faith and belief, you will continue to experience the rest and the peace and the blessing and the joy that is found in Jesus. But there is no rest for the person who will not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's his concern. And here's the thing. He wouldn't have made this warning to them if it wasn't a possibility. I don't think we can mess up enough to lose our salvation, but I think we can lose out on a lot of joy. We can lose out on a lot of peace. We can lose out on so much that the Lord would have for us when we harden our hearts and develop a posture of unbelief. It is possible to look at our lives, to look at the circumstances that the Lord brings us into to test us and to grow us, and instead of responding in faith, we become stubborn and, and bitter and we harden our hearts against the Lord. 
But the good news, the good news is that this God does not want that for you. He doesn't want that for me. And he instructs us out of love and how to avoid this, how to sow you know, into belief instead of unbelief. How to cultivate a heart that responds to Jesus and says, yes, a heart that is full of faith and worship. And the great thing is these are instructions that we can put into practice today. Again, don't, don't wait until the end of the year to change your relationship with the Lord and to change the outcome of your life. Start today, as long as it is called today. And so we see the very first thing in verse 12 from what we must do. And it's something we must do inwardly. He says in verse 12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So what must we do first? We must check ourselves. We must check the state of our hearts. He says, take care. That means we must discern, we must contemplate, we must consider, we must examine ourselves and, and examine the true state of our hearts. We need to look at the, our inner being, our man, our womanhood, and see, is there evidence of unbelief in our life? And if there is, we need to take hold of it, and we need to kill it before, like some invasive weed, it grows and it spreads into more and more unbelief. And so how do we do this? Well, the first step, I think, is actually gaining an understanding of what actually is unbelief. What is unbelief? Let me tell you what unbelief is not. Unbelief is not doubt. And I, I, I can certainly mix that up sometimes. I conflate unbelief with doubt. We can have a great belief in God and still struggle with doubts. You know, it can come to maybe a situation in your life you don't understand or something God is telling you to do and you, you, you struggle to believe. Maybe, like me, you come to a passage of scripture and, you know, either, and, and you're struggling with it, either... It's hard to understand, or perhaps it unsettles you, or perhaps it's a miracle, and because, like, you know, we're so secularized, we don't want to believe it, and we, we find it very hard to contemplate believing God's word against what we've been told our, our entire lives. We can believe in God, and doubt can still creep in. We can know he is true, we can know his word is true, we can know what is right, and yet, in the moment, we're just not there yet, and we need help. That, that's what doubt is. And doubt is actually a more humble posture because doubt can bring you to God and you can come to him and say, look, Lord, I know I have the problem. I need to change and I need your help in that. And God responds to that. It's the, it's the cry of the, the father in Mark 9, 24. He says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. It's a posture where we acknowledge where we're struggling and we bring it to God because he has the answers. But unbelief, the type of unbelief that the author of Hebrews is talking about here, it's looking at the circumstances of life, it's looking at the places God is calling you to go to, it's looking at his word and saying, God, you are the problem, not me. I'm not going to listen to you. I like how um, David Guzik, he's a Calvary Chapel pastor, in his commentary, he puts it this way. He says, one can truly believe God, yet be occasionally troubled by doubts. There is a doubt that wants God's promise, but is weak in faith at the moment. Unbelief isn't weakness of faith. It sets itself in opposition to faith. If you're struggling with doubts this morning, you're not in rebellion against God, and God wants you to come to him 
to get the answers, to bring it to him in faith. But to set yourself in opposition to what God says is unbelief. And so we must look out for that posture that is opposed to faith in God, and we must deal with it. And how do we do that? How do we, how do we find and identify this thing? It's by doing something perhaps we don't want to do. We need to slow down and actually examine the evidence in our life. Jesus makes it very clear time and time again in the Gospels that our lives will reflect the conditions of our hearts. I want to show you a few examples. In Matthew 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, speaking about false prophets and teachers, actually, false believers, he says, we're going to know them by the outcome of their life. And he compares it to fruit. In Matthew 7, 17, he says, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. What Jesus is saying there is that the evidence on the outside shows you what is on the inside. Earlier on in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 6, Jesus says that the things that our hearts are devoted to are shown by what we do with things like finances in our lives. In Matthew 6, 19, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, Jesus could be saying, Show me your bank account, and I'll show you who your God is. You know, what we do, or what God has given us, shows, well, what we really worship. Again, the outside proves the inside. Last one, Matthew 15, Jesus is talking about what defiles a person. Because, you know, in Judaism, if you didn't wash your hands, you were becoming unclean. But Jesus says what really defiles a person. He says in Matthew 15, 17, do, not, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. And so it's pretty cut and dry. It's not just who you say, what you say that shows who you are. It's what you do. What you do speaks more volume about yourself than what you say. And so again, we need to do something that isn't always fun to do, but it's absolutely necessary. We need to stop, we need to examine our lives and see the state of our hearts. And this needs to be intentional. If you are not intentional in this, it will not happen because we are so distracted, we are so busy, like we have, we have phones, we have jobs, we have children, we have studies, we have so much going on in our lives today. It can be, you can go weeks and not sit back and actually reflect on your life and how you're doing with the Lord. And sometimes if we're honest, we just don't want to do it because we know uh, the answer isn't always what we want. But it is, it is necessary and it is good. Let me encourage you that you can do it today and it will bring a benefit to your walk with the Lord and with your life. The psalmist David says in 120, Psalm 139, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there is any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. We need him to show us our true state. And when he does that, he can lead us into better pastures. So this can be done very easily. 
It could be done at the end of your day, take 15 minutes, put the phone away, put it in a different room so there's no distractions, and just look back at your day and just ask the Lord to show you, you know, have I lived in a way today that was not in line with your words? It's as simple as that. And if the Lord shows you absolutely nothing, then praise God, you are bearing fruit. You, you, you've passed the day, you know? But if there's something not right, then you have the opportunity to own that thing. Own the sin. Don't pretend it's not there. Don't pretend it isn't sin. Own it. Confess it. Repent of it. And let the Lord change you. Ask him to change you because he will do it. The promise of scripture is if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. When we bring our sin to God, he will deal with it. But we have to be willing to humble ourselves and actually just bring it to him and find out the condition of our hearts. And as we do this day after day, we will dig up weeds of unbelief and we will sow seeds of faith. And so that's the first thing. We must examine the condition of our hearts. But the second, found in verse 13, is something we must do today for one another. It says in verse 13, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Excuse me. So the second thing we must do, if we want to cultivate a heart of belief, is to put ourselves in a position where we can both encourage to be exhort and to be encouraged by other believers. It says we must exhort one another daily. And that word means to come alongside somebody, to, to, to comfort them, to instruct them. It's the very same idea that Jesus says about the Holy Spirit in John 16, that he would be our comforter and our guide and our teacher. We have a responsibility, you and me, to speak into each other's lives, to be there for each other, to point people back to the Lord when their eyes are getting off him, and to instruct people when they're wandering off into sin, and to comfort people when they are struggling in their faith. But we have to be prepared also to allow that to happen to us. And that can be really hard, if I'm honest. It can be really hard for someone to tell me what I'm doing wrong. You know, I get very self-righteous, and it's like, you know, who are you to, to judge me? But we need this. We all need this. The proverb says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. We need this. God says we need this. And the gift of exhortation, the gift of encouragement is such a beautiful gift in the church. And it's something we need more and more of. It's so easy to criticize. It's so easy to judge a person and to see where they're going wrong. And yet it could be so hard to encourage them and to show them honor and to glorify God because of what he's doing. But it is necessary. It can make a difference, honestly. Like the last, in the last week, I've had at least two people in this church get in contact with me, and they have spoken a word of encouragement, and they didn't know I needed it. But when they said it to me, I, I knew I needed it. And the Lord used it to get my eyes back on him and to change things. We all need the gift of encouragement. But in order for this to happen, we need to be around Christians. We need to be around other Christians. You cannot encourage people in the faith. And you cannot be encouraged by your brothers and sisters if you are not in regular and consistent fellowship with other followers of Jesus. It can't happen. 
And I use those words very purposely. We need regular fellowship with a consistent group of believers. And the scriptures say so. Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so as scripture makes it clear, one of the questions we need to examine ourselves if we want to do this is, how important is that reality in our lives? Does fellowship have a priority in your life? How invested are you in the people in this church? Because the reality is, if our fellowship with each other is irregular, we cannot be encouraged and encouraged the way God would have us do so. Um, It's very hard for you to encourage me if you don't know me. And I can't encourage you if I see you once a month. Like, it's just the reality. And I get it. There can be, it can be hard. Again, we're very busy. We have jobs. It can be hard to get into consistent fellowship. And the temptation is always there to stay on the periphery of the body of Christ. And it could be because of, of sin that we don't want exposed. It can be, you know, it can be church hurt. We can get hurt by each other. That's the reality of it. And that can lead us to be drawn away. And sometimes it can just be laziness. We don't prioritize our life right. But when we cannot commit ourselves to each other, we all miss out. We miss out on the blessing of what we give to others, and we miss out the blessing that we receive as well. And again, it can very easily happen. When I became a Christian in 2009, a few months afterwards, and it wasn't like a conscious choice or anything like that, but I just stopped going to church. And this is like when there was eight of us in a room. So, you know, <laughs> it's very hard to go and notice when there's only a few people gone, you know? And I just stopped going to church. I don't know why. And, you know, all those past sins that I thought I had walked away from came back up. I started drinking more. I started getting back on drugs. I started doing the things I should not have been doing. And it's because I wasn't being encouraged in my faith. I had no one to come alongside me and to help me. And one, one evening on a Bible study, our, our worship leader at the time, a man named Ian Nepper, he gave me a phone call. He says, Danny boy, where are you? We haven't seen you in ages. Come to church. And I was like, I, I lied to him. I said, I, I can't. I have to babysit. I had no one to babysit. I, I was pure lied. And I put the phone down. He said, okay, maybe another day. And I felt a conviction from the Holy Spirit. Something lit back in my heart. And I knew I had to get back to church. And it was like a rainy Thursday evening, 7 p.m. I was in Baddy Bag, and I ran from Baddy Bag to Spring Garden Alley on the Mall in Waterford City to be back in church. And when I got back in fellowship, everything changed. The spark came back, the commitment came back, the growth came back. And I don't want any of us to miss out. Because when we put in ourselves in that place of inconsistent fellowship, we not only miss out on the encouragement, but the scripture says we put ourselves in danger. We are to encourage one another so we not become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, it says. See, if the enemy can isolate you, if he can get you alone and out of fellowship, what happens is over time the conviction starts to go away. That fire of God kind of dwindles and starts to burn out and die. And sin, that at one time was so repulsive, becomes very tempting and enticing again. And again, I have been there. Sin, it tricks you, it says, it's deceitful. It shows you the bait, but there is a hook 
hidden beneath there that wants to trap you. And as sin grows out of fellowship, what happens is our hearts become hardened by unbelief. And instead of believing in Christ, we start to believe that a life without Jesus is just fine. And that we can go back and do it by ourselves. And the confidence in Jesus lessens and the temptation to just leave him behind comes. And I've seen it happen. The people who brought me to this church don't walk with Jesus anymore because they left him behind. It can happen and we need each other to encourage each other to keep going. God has given us one another to bring us away from the lie and to remind us who we really are. And one of the simplest ways you can encourage your brothers and sisters today, remind them of the gospel. Remind them of who they are in Christ. Remind them of the love of God that was shown by Christ crucified. Remind them that just as Jesus died on the cross, their sin is dead. And just as he is alive forevermore, we are alive with God. We are made new. We are changed. Remind them of their future, of their destiny. Help them get perspective in light of eternity. Point them back to Jesus. Point them back to the cross. It is so simple and it is so life-changing. It's the truth. It's the message of truth. We all know it. And if you simply just encourage a brother and sister, remind them of the gospel, remind them of the love of God, you can exhort them to come and follow and stay on track. We are a people who have come to share in Christ. And that's what the scripture says in verse 14. For those who hold on to the end, it says, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold, hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the wilderness. I love this phrase. We have come to share in Christ. We are partakers with him. Partakers in everything that is true of Jesus becomes true of us when we place our faith in him. We become a partaker in his obedience, in his suffering, in his death, in his resurrection, and in his victory over sin. We could become partakers in his plans, in his glory, in his destiny, in his intercession. We become part of Christ. And to be found in Christ is like nothing else. And it is a place we must remain. It says we must abide with him. We must keep that confidence until the very, very end. That faith that we put in him, the moment we came to him and confessed our sin and trusted him, we must keep that fire alive. We must keep it going. And we do that by encouraging one another. Jesus says this. He says in John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hands. So we need to stay close to Jesus this year. We need to stay close to him. And when we stay close to him, we are in a safe place. We are secure. We are like sheep in his hand. So when you hear his voice today, and you need to seek his voice today, you need to be reading, you need to be seeking the will of God today. And when you hear him today, and when you hear him tomorrow, and you hear him the day after that, and the day after that, for every day this year, as long as it's called today, say yes to Jesus. Believe him. Examine your heart from belief. Encourage and be encouraged by others. And watch as your relationship with him changes, and watch as you change by his grace. So we're going to go into a time of worship, and this is actually the time where we get to do that, where we get to examine ourselves. 
and bring our hearts for Christ and allow him to reveal things to us. We allow him to, to show us, you know, where he is calling us and we allow him to change us. So, you know, as we go into a time of worship, you know, though we love hearing you guys sing, if, it's a, if you need a moment to actually stop and just ask the Lord, God, speak to me. Show me what I need today. Do it. Don't waste the opportunity today to change tomorrow. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word once again. We thank you, Lord, that as long as it is called today, Jesus, we can hear your voice. We can be changed. We can be encouraged. We can come back to you, God. We can say yes to you. And Jesus, we, 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 we declare, God, today that we are going to say yes to you this year. God, that we are going to follow you all the more this year. That our faith in you this year will not shrink back, God. It will not diminish. It will only increase, God. We say yes to your promises, God. We say yes to your calling. We say yes to that, um, that, that, that command to worship and follow you, Jesus. We say yes, God, for all that you have for us. God, we pray that this year would be a year like never before. That this would be the year of change, the year of growth, the year of, God, release from bondage, the year of, of healing, a year of fellowship, God, a year of salvation of the Lord's favor. That it would be a year of jubilee, God, and freedom. And God, that comes only by our faith in you, God. So Lord, help us as your people, God, here today to put our faith in you, God, to follow you and to say yes. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are in us. We have a new heart and strengthen us Holy Spirit baptize us today Holy Spirit empower us Holy Spirit to say yes to follow you we love you God we thank you that you have not left us alone we thank you that you have a greater desire for us God to follow you and help us now we pray in Jesus name Amen <laughs>